Luke 19, verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home, in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Father, please show us through Zacchaeus how anyone can be changed and how any appetite for you can be satisfied. Father, I pray we're all willing to make the climb this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed way up the sycamore tree to see what he could see. To see, to see. I don't know about you, but that song came to my mind when I was preparing for this message. I Grabbing Bible heroes in our summer series, I wanted to grab Bible heroes that aren't typically taught on. We might sing about them as children, um, but they're not typically taught on. And yet there are some wonderful truths here um, with Zacchaeus. And so what do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, we know that he was short in stature and wealthy in status. As chief tax collector, he had many tax collectors under his direction. And it's believed, as I was looking at my studies, it's believed that he obtained a lot of money illegitimately. So as a chief tax collector, he has many tax collectors under him and they are getting money illegitimately. That's why he told the Lord, if I've cheated anybody, I'll pay back four times as much. So his reputation was not the best. And lastly, we know that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus as he passed by. I wonder how many other notorious sinners want to see Jesus. I, wanna, I wonder how many times we've gotten in the way because people that we think are so sinful want to see Jesus and we're not going to do anything to help them to see Jesus or maybe the way that we are or, or the way that we present our Christianity are keeping them from seeing Jesus. Notice that the crowds were an obstacle for Zacchaeus for a couple of reasons. First, they kept him from being able to see Jesus as he was passing by because he, he was too short. And secondly, as Luke 19, 7 shows, they didn't speak well of him because of his reputation. I mean, can't you picture people saying, what right do you have to see the master? All the things that you've done, all the people that you've hurt, all the people that you've cheated, all the people that you've victimized, what right do you have to see the master? And so the crowds were an obstacle for two reasons. They kept him from seeing and they kept him from being reached by Jesus, yet he wanted to see Jesus bad enough to climb a sycamore tree. 
And if there's anything that you need to see, I want you to see something. And I don't know if we'll grasp this right away as I say it. You'll probably agree with me. But Zacchaeus' reputation didn't keep Jesus away from him. Can I just say something? Jesus isn't turned off by your reputation, by the things that you've done, the sins of your past. He's not. We might be. We might be disgusted by some of the things that have been done, especially if they were a public supposed servant like Zacchaeus was. But Jesus isn't turned off by, G by Zacchaeus' reputation. And if we know anything about Jesus, we know that he willingly took shots from the crowd because who, of who he was a friend of. Look at Matthew 11 with me. Matthew 11. Look at verse 18. I should probably do a series on Jesus' mic drops. I think this is one of Jesus' mic drops in Scripture. Um, just, um, and I don't even know if they grasped it, um, but he just kind of shuts everybody's mouth. You know, mic drops like, well, whose image is on the money? Caesar's, then give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and to God what's God's. Drop the mic. This is, I think this is a mic drop moment for Jesus. Look at 1118. Jesus said, for, for John didn't spend his time eating and drinking, and you say he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Wisdom is shown to be right by its results. With Jesus as our example, you don't have to defend yourself. If you have lived wisely, it'll be proven over time. I don't know if it's our responsibility to defend ourselves to everyone, and yet we want to in our flesh. We want to say, but you don't understand. You don't know all the circumstances. If there's anything that's difficult as a pastor, for me, maybe one of the most difficult things next to handling rejection would probably be the fact that we have to make decisions and we cannot always defend the decisions that we make because we would be sharing what was entrusted to us in secret and we just, we can't let everybody know. Maybe one of the hardest things to do that people that have attended here can say whatever they want to about us and we can't defend ourselves. I don't think it's our job to defend ourselves. I don't think it's your job to defend yourselves. I don't think it's your job to defend your Christianity. I think it's your job to prove them wrong over time. Wisdom is known by its results. I think you should just let things play out and let people say whatever they want. In Luke 7, 35, the same account with a slightly <clears throat> different spin. Wisdom is known by her children, older versions say. Wisdom is known by her children. Sometimes you must simply let your kids and your fruit speak for you. I know we want to defend ourselves. I know that we want to, to go into 
all of the reasons why we, we did what we did and everybody doesn't, they don't know all the facts and, 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 and they don't know what you've been through and I get it if anybody gets it, Lisa and I get it. Anybody that's ever been in the ministry gets it. Do not defend yourself. Over time, wisdom will be seen by its fruit, by the children born, it'll be seen. I think wisdom is seen in the results, not in your defense. Here, Zacchaeus climbs a sycamore tree. Scripture tells us that he was wealthy, that he was influential. Pretty undignified behavior for a wealthy man. Climbing a tree. It must have looked so funny, that short little guy climbing that sycamore tree. I would place this account, Zacchaeus, the sycamore tree, on a par with King David dancing around in his undergarments when they brought in the Ark of the Covenant. Remember where they brought the Ark of the Covenant home? Can we look at that real quick, 2 Samuel chapter 6? There's some truths in here I want you to, I want you to see, and we're going to tie this and Zacchaeus together. 2 Samuel 6, look at 16. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave uh, to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. When David returned home to bless his own family, keep in mind he's returning to bless his family. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. Notice it doesn't say David's wife. It says the daughter of Saul. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as a leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I'm willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes, but those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think that I'm distinguished. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. Notice the daughter of Saul, Michael, David's wife's response. Also notice that she remained childless throughout her entire life. I think wisdom is known by its children and those who despise wisdom, the lack thereof. I think wisdom is known by its children and those who despise it, the lack thereof. I believe the wise will produce fruit and the unwise will not. And you shall be known by your fruit. By the fruit that you bear, you'll be known. 
And years after you're gone, your fruit should still continue. I think we make it so much about the here and now and we fail to think about those that are coming after us, our children and our children's children. Whenever I'm watching the news and we're watching politics and how they're unfolding, I'm always thinking about the future. What's it going to be like for our boys raising their kids? What's it going to be like? I'm, I can't help but think like that. And godly parents and godly grandparents, they're always thinking of their children and their children's children. They're always thinking of the next generation. I believe wisdom does that. I believe wisdom is known by its children and wisdom is known by the care that it has for its children. I believe that as Christians, we should want to be fruit bearers. We should want to be fruit bearers. Well, Pastor John, what does it even mean to bear fruit? The best definition in Scripture that I know of of what it means to bear fruit, I believe it's best found in the New Living Translation. It's Colossians 1 verse 6. This isn't in your notes, but I just want to read it for you real quick. If you want to turn there, you can. Colossians 1 verse 6. It's just one of those verses that I've committed to memory it says, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. What's bearing fruit? Changing lives. How are you changing lives? How are you impacting lives? That's what it means to bear fruit. That's what you're going to be known by. You're going to be known by the lives that were impacted and were changed by you. Well, I'm not a minister. I'm not a pastor. I'm not standing up there preaching the word. Do you live in a neighborhood? Do you work in a workplace? Do you go to a school? Then you can have influence and you can impact and you can change lives wherever you go. Why would God ever trust me with a pulpit if I wasn't being used by him to change lives long before we ever... We're in ministry full-time. I was bringing guys to church and seeing them saved long before I was ever in ministry, long before I ever did a Bible study because souls mattered to me, because people getting saved mattered to me. We were bringing inner-city kids to church. Lisa would be cutting former Satanist hair in my workplace. I'd be burning their Satanic Bibles in the sink and giving them a real Bible. We were doing stuff like that long before we were ever in the ministry. I think... Someone being ordained is just a recognition of what they've already been doing. We don't ordain people in hopes that they'll be a minister. We're recognizing that they are a minister and that they should have a position in an office in a local church body. I think it's so powerful that Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. And he said that he must be a guest in his house today. I don't know if you knew it, but Zacchaeus means pure, it means innocent, it means righteous one. And you gotta believe that people, when they thought about Zacchaeus' name and the way that he'd been living, were probably thinking, righteous, whatever, innocent, hardly. Isn't it amazing how God doesn't know us by who we've been, but who we are. I mean, who we really, really are, who he's purposed and called us to be. What a powerful moment 
Jesus looking up, knowing Zacchaeus' name, and Zacchaeus, I must be a guest in your house today. And you don't find anywhere in Scripture where Zacchaeus is like, are you serious? What? I'm, I'm not worthy for you to come, uh-uh, with great excitement. As if he was hoping, like a one in the million, this must have been like hitting the lotto for Zacchaeus. Must have been. Are you, absolutely. He's not going to miss the chance for, for this to happen. What a powerful moment. Zacchaeus' hunger was being satisfied. The climb had been worth it. And like the father looking for his prodigal son to come home, he who was lost has now been found. Zacchaeus, like David, must have looked so foolish. Yet I can't find anywhere in Scripture that either regretted their actions. It was for the Lord that Zacchaeus climbed and before the Lord that David danced. I love it. Worth it all. Worth it all. Worth it all. Just as David knew that God chose him, Jesus chose Zacchaeus that day. Zacchaeus, I must be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus must have wanted to know Jesus so bad. Must have been so hungry to know him. Didn't know how to get any closer to him. And the Lord who sees the heart, Zacchaeus, I must be a guest in your home. Any heart that goes after God is never turned away. It's never disappointed. It's never rejected. If it's the Lord that you're truly going after, if it's something that you want from God, you're trying to use God to manipulate, to get prosperity or to get a spouse or to to get but if you're really really after Jesus then you get Jesus and when you get Jesus you get it all you get all the love all the hope all the joy all the peace that you could ever want it's all wrapped up and found in him he's all that you've ever wanted all that you'll ever need in him is the fullness of anything and everything when you find Jesus you find it all and I so struggle with the gospel being preached today that presents an aspect of, of Jesus. No, Jesus is the gospel, and when you find him, you find it all. He is the lotto. He is the big win. He is the treasure that you've been seeking for. He is the pearl of great price, the lost coin. He is. He's what you're looking for. Everything that you could ever want, every, anything that you could ever need, Jesus is it. And Zacchaeus, though wealthy, though he had had status and he had power and he had influence, it didn't matter. He had to climb the tree. He didn't care what anybody thought of him. He had to see this Jesus. And Jesus knew that he was hungry. He knew it. I love it. I love it. Maybe you've come by some things illegitimately too. Maybe people know you by what you've done. Jesus doesn't care what people say about you. Jesus is looking at your heart today. And that's where we we miss it. That's where we get thrown off all the time because everybody sees us outwardly because that's all they can see. Only God can see the heart. What is it? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. No man can know it. God can. God can know your heart. And that's what God looks at. He looks at your heart. 
God saw Zacchaeus' heart, didn't see his status, didn't see his wealth, didn't see all the, 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 the ill-gotten gains that he had obtained, didn't see that he had amassed a great, a great wealth, a great fortune on the backs of people. He didn't see that. He saw his hunger for him in the moment. So in a single moment, your hunger for God can change your life. In a single moment, you can cry out to God and you can be forever changed. In a single moment. But here's the difference, I believe, between the people that come to know Jesus and are changed by him and the ones that don't. Sometimes people just are not willing to make the climb. And so they don't see Jesus and he passes by and they can't see him because of the crowds or they're beat down as people are continually throwing their reputation in their face. Man, I know who you are. I know who you are. Don't think because you're going to church that that makes you better than anybody else. Wasn't trying to be better than anybody else. Was just trying to see Jesus. Wasn't trying to be holier than anybody else. Was just trying to see Jesus. Isn't it amazing how people will say that, you know, oh, you just think you're holier than thou. You just think you're holier than And you never said that, but that's what they think you think. It's because the presence of God on your life, because you're a pursuer and a climber, convicts them. Please do not forget that wherever you go, Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit's with you. And that is felt. If you can feel the demonic, don't you think that they can feel the Holy Spirit? And yet as Christians, we, we forget that. We walk into those family gatherings, those family reunions, or those holiday events. We, we walk into those workplaces. We, we walk into those schools, and we don't know why people don't like us, and they don't even know us, why they're irritated with us, and they don't even know us. It's because of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, look, they don't like you because they don't like me. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But they hate you because they hate me. So please know that when you invite Jesus into your heart, you're picking a fight. It's on. You are picking a fight with every destructive demonic force that wants to destroy lives. You're saying, I'm a life that's changed, and my changed life and the presence of the living God on the inside of me is being felt and it's being experienced. Bible says that when you become a Christian, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Doesn't momentarily occupy, dwells, dwells in you, and you are bringing that dwelling place wherever you go because you're that temple. You're that house of the Holy Spirit. So wherever you go, the Holy Spirit's with you. Wherever you go. And it is felt. And yet, in our humanness and in our flesh, we don't get it sometimes. I don't know why they don't like me. I don't know what it is about. What have I ever done to them? Why don't they like me? What is their problem? What is their deal? They got issues. Yeah, and it's with the Holy Spirit, not with you. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And you want to think it's about you? It ain't about you. It's about your nearest and dearest friend. It's about Jesus. And if you want to be accepted by the masses, then just reject Jesus and go back to your old ways and go back to your old haunts. Christianity is not a popularity contest. You don't become a Christian because you want to position yourself in good standing with the people of the world. 
And I'm sorry, saints, you are going to have to get bolder and bolder and bolder and bolder in these last days. You do not have a choice. The middle ground is being eliminated in America. It is quickly diminishing. There's no hiding place anymore. Used to be some. There's no hiding place there. There are no closets anymore. Everybody else is coming out of the closet. Why can't the Christians? And I think at some time, at some point in the ballgame, you're going to have to come out of the closet, saints. But whatever you do, if you come out of the closet, be the real deal, be legitimate. Don't just say that you're a Christian. Don't just take the, the harshest scriptures that you can find and throw them in their face. God's going to judge sinners. God, there is, you're not going to find anywhere in scripture where it says that God hates sinners. But you will find that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. I do not like that sign. God hates sinners. God does not hate sinners. Jesus died for sinners, and you and I are in that group. I want to show you one more scripture. Um, Matthew 5.1. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to wrap it up. Matthew 5.1. If you've got a message Bible, you're the, you're the version that I'm after this morning, but I'll, I'll read it. The new living comes close, but the message is even better. Matthew 5.1, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It says, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. The message Bible, if you have it, doesn't say, doesn't say that his disciples gathered around him. Um, it says, and that he taught him, it says that Jesus spoke to his climbing companions. And I love that rendering. I think Eugene Peterson captured it best. Jesus spoke to his climbing companions. Well, I don't know if the Lord's, you know, I don't know if, I've, if the Lord has spoken to me lately. Maybe you're not willing to make the climb. Maybe God's voice has gotten quieter and quieter because you're not willing to make any climb so that you can see him more clearly, so that you can hear him more clearly. Many, many times you're not hearing him because you're not pressing into him anymore. My Bible promises in James chapter 4 that if I draw near to him, he'll draw near to me. The old saying is, feeling distant from God, guess who moved? I believe the Holy Spirit's always in pursuit of us, always chasing us. And so if we're not feeling that close to the Lord, it's not because he's left us. He promises never to leave or forsake us. We must have pulled back. We are no longer climbing. We're afraid God's going to mess with our mojo and what we got going on, and we don't want God messing with that. Doggone right he's going to mess your life up for the better. You better pray he messes your life up. I loved Corey's message last week. What a great message that was, wasn't it? How you might be able to get away from God's plan, but you're not going to get away from his presence. Where are you going to go? There's nowhere you can go to get away from his presence. And so there's always like this irritation that's going on with you when you're doing things you know you probably shouldn't be doing. When you're living in a way that you know you probably shouldn't be living, there's like this little irritation going on. 
And those incredible moments that you have are those moments where you cry out to God. God, I'm so sorry. Here I am wanting a little bit of you and a whole lot of me thinking that it's going to work out. And John the Baptist captures it best in John chapter 3. I believe it's like 31, maybe it's close. It's right around there. He said, I must decrease so that he can increase. Are you making the climb? Is Jesus on the increase in your life or is he on the decrease in your life? One single climb, one moment of hunger can clear the air. And I'll add a, another word to that, to that climb. Could we say that that climb could be one of repentance? God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for allowing this to grow in my life and for you to be getting smaller in my life. No wonder why the psalmist would say, come, let's magnify the Lord together. Come on, let's make God big. Let's make God big in our heart and in our life. Come on, let's magnify. Let's magnify the Lord. Are you magnifying the Lord? Are you willing to make the climb? Are you seeing Jesus like you once were seeing him so clearly? Are you in pursuit of him? Any relationship is going to struggle if the pursuit is gone. Every healthy relationship, there's a pursuit. Just married a couple last night. And the Bible says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will cling, will be joined, will be united to his wife. The old English word is the word cleave. And it means to pursue, it means to chase, it means to date. And you'll see similar verbiage used when the Lord would speak of holding fast to him. Holding fast to him. Are you pursuing him? Or were you climbing and you reached a plateau and it felt so good? I mean, you, you came out of so much and you, you, you just want to rest for a little while. The rest is in the pursuit. The rest is in the chase. Go hard, go great guns after Jesus. Make the climb like Zacchaeus. I think of the Lord saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens up the door, I will come in and I'll sup or I'll dine with them. Zacchaeus must have heard the Lord knocking. And before he knew it, they were dining together. Is today that moment that you come back to Jesus? Is today that moment where you cry out to God in the face of what everybody else is doing? I mean, do you think you're going to get to heaven and you're going to be able to use the way that other people have handled their Christianity as some excuse for you not pursuing the Lord? Yeah, but what about them? And what about what they were doing? And what about... You think that's going to fly with God? He's going to tell you the same thing he told Peter when Peter was always concerned about John. Right after Jesus reinstated him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my lambs, tend my lambs. 
Peter goes, what about him? Jesus said, if he, if he lives until I come back again, what is that to you? You follow me. Let me say that to you. It's not about everybody else. You follow Jesus. My brother Kenny says it all the time. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know. Maybe you quit climbing. Maybe you thought you've climbed enough in your, in your early days of your walk with the Lord. You're not climbing anymore. You've, done, you've been there. You've done that. You bought the T-shirt. There's always a climb in a healthy Christian walk. Always. It's a love walk, not a love stance. And I just want to pray, believing that you've been challenged today, giving you an opportunity to come back to the Lord. And you're here. Those people that you wish were here and heard this message, they're not. Maybe you can let them know about it and we'll post it and they can, they can watch it, they can listen to it. But you're here right now. It's about you and the Lord. It's me, it's me standing in the need of prayer. You're here. You're here. So we just close our eyes right now. I want to give opportunity for response. If the Lord's been speaking to your heart, been challenging your heart, and your flesh is getting confronted and you don't like it and it's uncomfortable, but you know that God is looking for you to respond. I used to tell myself when I was heavily under conviction and still do that if I don't respond now, I'm not gonna when I get home. It's kind of like those moments when you're at home and you're looking forward to doing something and, and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you and wants to spend time with you and you kind of stiff arm him. And, and you know, in a, in a couple minutes, let me just watch this real quick or let me just do this real quick. No, 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 no. Be the Mary that's going to be at Jesus' feet when she should have been doing other things with Martha. And if God's speaking to your heart right now and you know that you need to respond right now in this moment, just want you to stand to your feet and we're all going to pray together. The Lord's speaking to you. He's drawing you closer, drawing you near, dealing with your heart, dealing with your life. You could have known the Lord. You could have been walking with the Lord for many, many years, yet God's pulling you closer to him. And even as I start praying, feel free to stand as the Lord is speaking to you. Father, thank you for these that are standing. Father, thank you for the work that you're doing in their heart and in their life. Father, thank you that it's not about everybody else. It's not about what everybody's doing. It's not about what we think.